Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I'm very excited to be joined as always by my co-host, the Fulham Flyer, the Schwangunk Express. He is the Cassie Scallon to my Cassie Lang. Phil Vondra, welcome back to the Pain Cave. Thank you. Good to be here again. Once again, feels like deja vu, but uh, good times. Phil, we are honored to have just a true legend of the sport on today because there has been a lot going on in the sport of ultra running recently, and there is a lot coming up, and we wanted to get his take on all of this. We, we are so psyched to have Andy Jones Wilkins, better known as AJW, on the pod today. For those of you who are maybe newer to the sport and don't know the place that this guy holds in our exalted history, AJW not only a former champ of both the Vermont 100, the Where's Waldo 100K, the Grand Teton 100 miler, but he's probably best known for seven consecutive top 10 finishes at Western States. Uh, I believe one of only three or four people to hold that distinction. And he is also a 10-time finisher in, in all in sub-24 hours. Phil, do you know how many people have that distinction? 10 sub-24 sub hour finishes at Western States? Uh, I'm going to say Ian Sharman is one of them. Good, yes. And uh, that's probably it. No, that's not it. But <laughs> oh, okay. it, there, there are only, I think, 40 or 41. I, I was trying to count earlier. And uh, AJW oh, is right. one of that, that elite few. And, and it does read like right. a who's who in the history of our sport, particularly in the U.S. Um, he runs for Patagonia and Drymax. He also, you can read his comic stylings and thoughts on the sport every week on I Run Far in his column AJW's Tap Room. Andy Jones Wilkins, welcome to the Pain Cave. Jay, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you on. Um, you know, like I said, you're you're, you're such a, a, a kind of seminal figure in the sport, especially as it kind of has grown from, you know, its roots as a dirtbag sport to its current state as maybe a slightly less dirtbag sport. And we're really psyched to have you on to get your thoughts on, on everything that's happening now. Before we get started, Phil, what are you drinking tonight? Me, I've gone old school tonight. I've got a Lawson's Finest Liquids mm. Little Sip IPA. Yeah, there you go. I, uh, a little hair of the dog is needed after a uh, little overindulgence on a Sunday night, you know? I am it's, running uh, low on the supply down here in the cave. I have one of my last Jackie O's Who Cooks for You. I'm going to pop that one. Andy, what do right. you got? Oh, one of my go-tos these days, Hazy Little Thing IPA. Just a Sierra offering that I love. Nice. A nice one. Cheers, guys. Classic. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. So that's three IPAs. That's unlike us. We don't normally <laughs> yeah. we don't normally do that necessarily. <laughs> Bill, what's that Lawson's you got going? Uh, little sip. It's oh, like okay. um, it's it's the it's the um, the little sister of little sip, sip of sunshine. Of sunshine. Yep. Sip of sunshine. Exactly. Yeah. It's really good. And you know, only rocks in at six percent alcohol, so you know, nice and weak. You'll be, yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you'll be up for the whole pod, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, it's tasty. It's good. So guys, we have a lot to talk about, and you know, unfortunately, we're we're gonna have to start off on a down note. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't address what happened this past weekend in China at the uh, the Yellow River Stone Forest 100K. I'm sure everyone who's listening now has heard already, but. Tragic uh, occurrence at this mountainous 100K in China. I'm not sure of the province, but was struck by some terrible weather. Temperatures got very cold. Um, there were a lot of exposed places, and there it was a, a, ter a terrible tragedy. Uh, 21 uh, ultra runners have died uh, on the trail in in China there uh, as of as of today, and I think everyone has been accounted for of, of the 172 starters. 
by far the worst tragedy that's ever struck our sport in a, in a single day. You know, I, I don't have anything intelligent or insightful to say about this other than to say what a tragedy it is and, and how, how terribly we feel for everybody in our community that is struggling with this right now. And, and you know, we, our, our, our thoughts go out to, to them there. Do you guys have anything to, to add or, or anything that, that we can take out of this uh, other than, you know, it, it's terrible? You know, for me, I think one of the hardest parts about it is that, you know, being someone who's been in the sport for 30 years now, people have often asked me, do people, don't, don't people just die doing that? Doesn't running that far just kill you? And I, and I think they're, they're often thinking more about like you're just wearing yourself down right. or something like that. And, and I think that the, the shock of this and, and, and we'll, we'll learn more about what happened and how it happened, but you know what, it's, it's the elements, it's the mountains. It's, it could, it could happen to any of us. Right any of us anytime i've been in two races that have been called off mid-race uh i was scared when i was out there i i was i wasn't fearful for my life but i was definitely thinking about turning around um and what we do isn't isn't entirely normal um and so i think it's tragic we don't know everything about it and our heart goes out especially to the families and friends of those 21 who perished on that mountain. Yeah. 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 Like you say, Andy, it's, it's right. It's the kind of thing that it, it just seems so random and, and terrible. And, and yes, it could happen to any of us at any time. And, you know, it's only unfortunately because there was a race going on that so many you know people were out in the elements when, when they probably otherwise wouldn't have been. Um, you know, I, I, I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't lead to, I mean, you don't want to say negative press or anything like that, but I hope this doesn't lead to a restriction of, you know, the sport moving forward and, and you know, from a liability standpoint or what we're able to do or that sort of thing. Um, you know, there are inherent risks and, and this is obviously the worst case scenario. I, ho I hope it doesn't change the, the fabric of the sport necessarily. I think, uh, I think you know, from my, my point of view, this thing, it's, you know, I'd really like to get a little more detail on actually what happened because, you know, it seems like people died from hypothermia. So I'm guessing they got soaked in the rain, the wind whipped up and their core temperatures just, you know, really badly dropped down. And, uh, you know, I've been in a few races where things have got, you know, pretty, uh, pretty challenging, like Bighorn a couple of years ago, you know, it was bright sun, really hot and humid to start with, started climbing, got into the race. It was rain, hail, snow, thunder, lightning through the night, you know, going up to the turnaround point. And I was pretty scared myself, you know, um, and I think the thing with a lot of us is we think we're pretty tough, we're pretty robust, you know, because it's kind of the nature of our sport a little bit. But uh, I think you've got to, like, not underestimate the elements, you know. So, like, I'm going to be a bit quicker to get my jacket out of my pack when I'm getting cold on a mountain, you know, a little bit more thoughtful when I'm packing my gear. You know, I'm going to definitely have this in my mind when I'm getting ready for these things. And, you know, you get you, you get a bit of elevation, you get exposed on the mountains, and it's it is pretty dangerous. I mean, it's definitely scared me a little bit. You know, it'll make me really think about you know checking the weather when I go into these things. Just you know, ticking a few more boxes, not being a little bit lazy with stuffing gear in my bag and thinking I'll never need that jacket anyway, so I'll just take my my lightest you know whatever jacket. But 
you know, it's definitely going to make me approach things with a little bit more caution now. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I'm totally shocked. There's 21 people. It's just absolutely insane. Um, yeah. Incredibly sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all reeling a little bit and, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what, what more information comes out of this and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see the, the community pulled together. I'm sure we will, as, as we have in the past when, when tragedy has struck. You know, the, I was thinking today, we're out in the elements a lot. And, and a lot of times that's what, you know, some, some of the stories that we have, some of the, the crazy stories that we have and the crazy stories that we hear are tied to that sort of thing. I mean, that's part of what we love about the sport. I was thinking about uh, hard rock in, and I don't remember which year, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but it was like 2014 or 2016 when there was all this crazy weather. And I remember people Indian were- got struck by lightning, is that right? I, I, I mean, I think it was Ad, Adam Kimball got hit by lightning and still finished, right. you know, like sixth or something. And, and everyone was like, oh my God, he got struck by lightning and still finished sixth. What a badass. And, you know, this this yeah. became this kind of lore of the sport. And there were, there were a lot of stories like that on that day. And, you know, I, I don't think I really appreciated how tragic it could have been. Um, and I, I think it's yeah. hard to, you know, to uh, until something like like this happens and really hits home, you know, it, it's hard to think, you know, we, we kind of venerate these these efforts a little bit. And, you know, it really is it's you know, it can so easily go the other way. So, again, I don't have anything profound to say. It's just it's it's shocking and, and sad and terrible. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, again, our, our thoughts and, and uh, you know, just just wishing nothing but the best for everyone over there and everybody involved and hopefully we'll, we'll come through this together let's let's move on to some some slightly less uh depressing news which is that of the <laughs> the uh the partial purchase of utmb by iron man phil you and i talked about this on the pod a couple weeks ago when the the news first dropped and um you know we we've gotten a little bit more information on this story since then, although I don't think as much as we'd like. But, you know, this still is kind of the most, until this past weekend, obviously, was the most talked about story in the sport over the last uh, couple of weeks. And, and I think, you know, I, I, my, my thoughts have kind of uh, continued to evolve on it and particularly wanted to get AJW's thoughts on this as somebody who has, like I was saying before, seen the evolution of the sport over the past few decades into to what it is now to where, you know, ultra running in general, and UTMB in particular, is a, a viewed as an asset by one of these big hedge fund corporations. Andy, what were your thoughts when this first happened? And, you know, I'd like to get into a little bit about the relationship between UTMB and Western states over the past uh, decade or so. Um, so let's just start out by, you know, what what did you think when you first heard this news about UTMB and Ironman? I, I was concerned about it back in 2017. Um, you might remember the, the open letter that a, a bunch of uh, Mountain West race directors and a couple East uh, Grindstone in particular race directors wrote uh, in response to the people from uh, UTMB reaching out to Hard Rock to uh, have Killian Jornet uh, finish there, recognized uh, and getting ITRA points and then paying the money to UTMB so he could have an entry into UTMB. And and they wrote the article in, in Ultra Running Magazine to say, well, we're not going to pay for points, basically. And even in that article, they talked about the, we, we're not going to stand by and support the Ironmanization of our sport. <laughs> and that was 2017 in June. 
uh, right, right about it was on the eve of Western States that was published in Ultra Running Magazine. I'm going to say to you guys tonight, I'm, I'm with those guys. Mm-hmm. I do not support, you can call it what you want, but I do not support the corporatization, corporatization of American ultra running. American ultra running, by and large, is a nonprofit entity. Mm-hmm. Some of these big races have one, two, five paid employees. You know, big time races pay their race director you know, a salary that could maybe buy them a one bedroom studio apartment somewhere. (laughs) And they uh, pour the rest of their proceeds back into the trails, medical research, uh, making the sport better, figuring out ways. They're not true, not for profit entities. You know, my, in my other life, I'm a, I'm a school print, an independent school principal. And independent schools are driven by uh, tuition. We don't take money from other people. Basically, you pay for the you pay for the education, you get the education, and and we're nonprofit. We have to have a no surplus at the end of the year. You know, hopefully, no deficit at the end of the year. And that's the way these races operate. And this move, and the fact that when it was announced, it was clear that there was no North American races that were takers as of yet really concerned me about the you know the way in which the what they're calling the world series of ultra running is going to impact united states ultra running and 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 if it and and if it and if it will impact united states ultra running um and so to me that, that on a fundamental kind of cultural difference level uh, that's the biggest concern: the non-for-profit, not-for-profit versus the for-profit. The, I mean, right. The 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 conception of the sport in Europe. I think what what we've been learning over the past uh, few weeks is that the conception of the sport is quite different than it is in the U.S. And a lot of those differences you've alluded to there. That particularly the you know not that there aren't for-profit races here, but they they usually I think I'm going to say maintain a fairly homogenous feel with the rest of the U.S. trail and ultra running system, for, for lack of a better word. I mean, we talked, Phil and I talk a lot on the show about Jamil and, and what those guys do at Aravipa, and that's that's a for-profit group. They, they put on a bunch of races, and they, uh, you know, I'm sure don't make a ton of money, but they make enough to keep themselves employed and employ a, a, you know, a staff of a few dozen people, from what I understand, and that's great. And, you know, I I think most people who've run their races have the sense that they are in the same vein and the same uh, spirit as kind of the the old school, older conception of races as nonprofit entities, mostly focused on trail work and trail initiatives that that you're speaking of. Um, and you know, not not to say not to say that European races don't care about those things, but I, I think at least looking from the outside, there does seem to be a a larger emphasis on corporatization and, and money and that sort of thing. Now, from from the perspective of athletes and elite athletes, uh, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit. This may ultimately be a good thing in terms of, you know, bringing more corporate interest, bringing more corporate dollars. Hopefully this trickles down to the athletes in terms of either prize money or appearance fees or uh, just increased salaries for their own personal sponsorships or increased stipends as warranted, uh, you know, 
and, and that's and that's great if that's the case. Uh, unfortunately, what we've heard so far from UTMB is that prize money, at least as yet, is not going to be affected, which I think is rubbing a lot of us the wrong I, I way. I think the, the word used was modest. The prize money will be modest. So you would think at that end of the pyramid scheme, um, <laughs> that at least the athletes would get sort of compensated to be appearing at, you know, a, a, a what they're terming as the world championships that definitely rubs me i mean there's a number of things that rub me the wrong way about this but that's that's definitely one of them anyway sorry i'm interrupting no that that's exactly what i what i wanted to say now you know i i've been vacillating back and forth on this for the last couple of weeks in terms of what i feel about this and i think you know debo and and mario freely spoke very at length and, and eloquently about the the various sides of this issue and, and many of these issues on, on the Pillars show a few weeks ago. As, a, as, a, as an ultra runner, and, and particularly as a fan of ultra running, I want ultra running to be a big deal, right? I want it to be, I want it to be viewed as the, the amazing sport it is. I want, it to be, uh, I, want, I want the best athletes to be considered as the amazing athletes that they are. And, you know, things like this move, that, move the sport forward. And, and part of me feels that that's great. And, you know, part of me also is... I've been in the sport for a long time, but I haven't been in it long enough to, you know, remember the quote unquote good old days necessarily. Like I never ran Leadville before Lifetime came along and, and you know, I, I never had to, you know, carry my, uh, my defizzed Coke in a Aunt Jemima bottle or, you know, taped to my hand or something. You know, Phil and I, we've been in the sport, you know, in, in its modern incarnation. So, you know, there, there's, it, it's hard for us necessarily to rail against losing some of ephemeral, uh, you know, spirit or indefinable thing that, that neither of us ever really experienced. But at the same time, I think the, the, the nature of the sport does persist in the U.S. in a certain way. And it, it does seem like, uh, I don't want to say that that's threatened, but it does seem to me that, that it, we, we are in danger of losing that a little bit. I don't know if we are or if this is just, you know, old guys, you know, shaking fists at clouds. But it, it, it makes me a little bit anxious, especially, Andy, as you say, that, that, you know, nothing has been as yet announced as being part of this in the U.S. Um, and we can speculate on what races might be interested or what races UTMB might be interested in in the U.S. But I do fear that, that part of the culture that we love about the sport over here is going to be marginalized in the, in the wake of this. Well, and let me just offer, I, I appreciate what you said about Jamil. I mean, Jamil's an old friend and, and what he's done, done at Aravaipa. And, and there's other versions of Jamil, Candace with her 200s, Rob Goyan down in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, uh, James Varner, at least, uh, you know, got it started up in the Northwest. Shadow, yep. uh, uh, Jason Green with his, you know, cadre of people in, in Virginia and Georgia and so forth. So, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there aren't race directors and race organizations that are making a profit. What I'm saying is they're they're making a profit doing it. And, and I hate to say it this way, but they're doing it the American way. <laughs> right. The, the, the American way is it's grassroots. You give it's it's runner centric. It's about the experience. It's about the guys at the middle of the pack. I mean, there's no greater definition of this, for example, than the, 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 the legendary race director of Wasatch 100, John Groban, still the race director there. 
he would make every year he does his pre-race briefing and, and bear with me here this is indicative of what i'm talking about he would do the pre-race briefing you know it's the fourth run fourth race of the grand slam there's a lot of fast people there and so forth he would say he would go up and he would start his pre-race briefing he does this every year i want you all to know there are a lot of famous well-known runners here at the race and we're not going to say anything about any of them. <laughs> and then he just goes on to say the course is going to be marked with pink ribbons and we're going to have Gatorade and we're going to have, you know, p potato sandwiches and whatever. I, I think, and maybe, maybe Iron Man and UTMB are going to prove me wrong, but I think the American ultra running culture is going to push back on this a little bit. And I think it's probably part of why we don't have a race yet that's been declared part of this World Series. I think there's probably a lot of behind the scenes trying to get athletes to you know come on board uh, to maybe be spokespeople or influencers around it. I don't know. I don't know any of this, um, but I I feel as though there's going to be a fair bit of pushback. And when I think of, I mean, I've been at I've been at a lot of races: Western States, Hard Rock, Wasatch, Leadville. Vermont, even the second tiers, the Cascade Crests, the Bighorns, the the Bears, the I don't see a race out there that's gonna cave to this, frankly. Um, maybe there is one, you know, maybe they've got a deal with Jamil in the works already for Havelina. I don't know, I don't know. But um, but I think it's gonna be a tough nut to crack for them. And, and even if once they crack it, it'll be interesting to see if the athletes will follow. Yeah, Phil and I have been talking about this, like what what might have been. And AJ, do you know is it is it um, that that uh, and maybe you don't know is it that UTMB or Ironman is actively recruiting U.S. races and like you say they haven't gotten a bite yet, or is it the other way around where race directors here are waiting for you know the call and and you think people are going to jump at the chance here? I I really don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I, I do know that when I, what, what, one of the things I was privy to back in 2012, 13 was when the UTWT was created. Right. Right. And so that, that whole series of races and, and of course, Western States and Havelina and a couple of other American races are part of the UTWT and you could establish ITRA points and all that. Well, the, this deck, this uh, agreement, with um, Ironman and UTMB pretty much disbanded the UTWT right. after 2021. Right. right. So, so, so even the, for, for example, the Western state spots that are reserved for UTWT runners, right. they're, they're, they're going to go away because the UTWT is going to go away. So, so I, I mean, I don't know if there's a next version of the UTWT, but I, but I know that that was even uh, 18 months in the making to make that happen, and and having your and having the passports and the various UTWT races around the world, and and I, I mean, and and frankly, I thought that was really gaining traction. They had their 100Ks, they had their 100 milers, they were represented on six continents. It was a really good thing. So I suspect that the whatever they're calling it now, the World Series is what will take the place of the UTWT. And, and as you as you noted, you know, Western States has been a, a, a member and, and has had uh, slots in the field, very exclusive fields uh, reserved for UTWT runners. It, it's hard to conceive of a true World Series of ultra running that does not include Western States. 
But as you said, I don't know that Western states is going to be all that eager to get on board with a plan that basically cedes the unofficial designation of the world championship of ultra running to another race in another country. It just seems, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how excited the board is going to be about that, particularly, as you said, given the fact that the Western states is a, is a nonprofit entity and this is clearly a for-profit venture. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how psyched they're going to be about that. Right. And I don't know either. And, and, and I think it's important for me to say I, I love Western states. I've been going there for 20 years. I'm going to go there for the rest of my life. I have no official affiliation with Western states other than a, being a 10 time finisher and a person who loves the race. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I was I was kind of around when the UTWT conversations were taking place. I I don't know. Um, I, I really honestly don't know yeah. what's what their thinking is with respect to this. But what I do know is what's most important to the Western States 100 board and the foundation and Craig is, is that trail mm -hmm. is maintaining the race and the integrity of the race, you know, Olympic Valley to Auburn as much single track as possible, accessible to the first timer, as well as the elite. I mean, those things are really, really, and taking care of the environment and doing medical research. Mm -hmm. We we opened the podcast by talking about these these this tragic death and these deaths in China. You know, these are things that are really they're in the DNA of Western states. Mm -hmm. Medical research is in the DNA of Western states. They put a lot of money into that. Yeah. So if you think of you think of your four hundred and twenty five dollar entry fee and, and it's you know, you got your buckle, you got your T-shirts, you got your aid stations, you got your medical research, medical research that is actually going to make a difference to runners a generation from now. Mm -hmm. um, they're not they're not going to scrap that. I, I can confidently say they're not going to scrap that to become part of some multinational you know, a right. corporation. Right. Phil, you and I had talked on uh, a recent run after we potted last time about what, you know, what dominoes might fall in the U.S. in terms of of the the ultra trail or the there I go, the, you know, World Series of ultra running or whatever they want to call it. And AJW may be right that that, you know, races are not going to necessarily be lining up. But I think there are some uh, that would uh, be would consider themselves uh, lucky to be included. I don't know about, I don't know about Jamil. I don't know about our Vipa. Um, although, you know, Javelina is one of the largest ultras in the, in the country and that thus is going to be a, you know, certainly a, a, a ripe target, I think for, for UTMB and, and Ironman. I think my guess is probably the biggest target is something like Leadville, right? Because that's like a business-to-business -business transaction. That's you know, exactly this is, uh, what I was going to say. Iron Man Corporation, owned by a hedge fund, we'll all sit around with our, uh, you know, business degrees, and we'll figure out what's the best fit. That's the best fit. Everything has a price. Let's see, you know, what that price is, and does it work for both of us? Looking at potential, you know, growth long term. So I think that'd be, you know, probably the the you know the, the the best fit from my from my point of view but i i mean i totally agree with andy as well i mean just u.s ultra running culture doesn't sit well with this sort of like world series utmb iron man thing i i think it will get i don't know i mean i think it will get kind of pushed a lot of pushback um 
And I, I love the US ultra running, like the dirt bagging, you know, I like the way you said, we're not quite as dirt bag as we used to be, but you know, <laughs> we're still kind of dirt bag. That's cool. You yeah. know, everyone's turning up, helping out. I mean, a great example, talking about, um, you know, the Yeti uh, events. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Jay and I are both doing the Yeti 100 in September and he sent us, Rob sent us these like pins Jason. saying, you know, admit one, Yeti, Jason, sorry, sent us these, these pins saying admit one. I mean, he didn't have to do that. What a great thing. I said to Jay when I got mine, I said, it's absolutely amazing. Like we've entered this race um, and he sent us his cool little like pin, like, look, you know, it looks like a little ticket, you know, that you can just stick on something like it's such a nice part of the US running culture. I mean, Iron Man won't send you anything except the bill probably (laughs) Um, or like add ons, you know, like you can do the race for like 500 bucks. You can add on like a water bottle for 20, but you know, like that's what it's going to be like. It just, it's not a good cultural fit in the US and I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully it stays away. Yeah, anyway, I, I, think, I think Leadville makes the most sense, uh, you know, and like I said, I, I, I've, in the interest of full disclosure, you know, say that I am, I am loosely affiliated with Leadville through Boundless Coaching and Guiding, when they were the official um, run coaches of Leadville, and, and I am going to camp this year, and I'm looking ver- forward to it very much, and I can't wait to run it again this year. And it's an amazing race, an amazing course, an amazing experience. And I will say that, that dis- you know, I was not there at the beginning you know, certainly pre-lifetime, and I was not there at the the onset of lifetime's affiliation or ownership of the race when I know there were some growing pains and, and it was a, a little bit of a bumpy road. I, I've only experienced it in the most recent years when, you know, it is certainly a branded event without a doubt, but at the same time, they do a nice job of keeping it as a, keeping the feel of a community race. They do a lot for the community of Leadville. I ran it my first time as a charity runner for the Leadville Trail Foundation, um, you know the the which supports scholarships for graduates of lead, of the the local high school and it's um you know despite the corporate involvement or intrusion uh, it does maintain a, a lot of that quality which I think is why people like myself keep coming back but having said that I think this would be a relatively bloodless transaction and and in a a certainly time of financial pressure on Lifetime, which is a large national company that lost a ton of money when basically all of their sites had to close for X amount of time during the pandemic. This is an asset that they have, and, and they've done you know a lot of work to build out the race series among the races, not only in Leadville, but, but elsewhere with Austin Rattler, and uh, they have a new race in Frida. And uh, you know, this is going to be, they, they may see this as an opportunity to capitalize on an asset that they've built in their portfolio to make up for, you know, what has been, I'm sure, a very difficult 18 months financially. Um, and to me, that's the first domino to fall in the U.S. logically, uh, again, having no inside knowledge. Well, and they're, they're also, they're also going to capitalize on the, um, on the gravel cycling movement, you know, they've taken over what used to be called Dirty Kanza mm-hmm. and the Unbound Race right. and the, yeah. the one in Utah, and then there's going to be one over here in Arkansas. So, I mean, they're smart business people, no doubt. Um, uh, and and I and I and I think Leadville is the logical the logical race. It's a Grand Slam race. It's a it's 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 got it's got pedigree and all that. So. Um, I, I think I think there will be a part of the American ultra running community that will brace that and another part that will just look the other way. Right. Agreed. Agreed. And and this is not to say that both things cannot exist. Like, right. right. I mean, we, we there's there's no reason why we can't continue to have races that 
you know, embrace the ethos of the sport that we've all been talking about here and, and, and also have big corporate productions that uh, attract a different type of athlete or, or you know, that, that we can both, you know, experience both types of during our careers. And, and, and that's great. Uh, you know, the, the, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But what I keep coming back to from that perspective is it's just, and I mentioned this the last time we talked about this, it's just going to be so hard, I think, for a new race, especially in the U.S., to break through and gain a real following and and really build up some importance within the the racing scene without some sort of affiliation with one of these big groups, be it Ironman, UTMB, or, or, you know, now Spartan on the scene or or everything else, you know... Havelina and I mean, Candace has done a great job with the 200s and, and those have, you know, certainly gained a following and I think they're going to continue to grow in importance. But, you know, a race like Bandera or Havelina, like those might be the last of that kind, like a, a race that can come onto the scene and, in, in, you know, within the last 15 years or so and really achieve national prominence and get big names to come do those races. I mean, it, it's going to be hard for a new race to come onto the scene and get a Jim or a Jared or a Debo or something like that to come and, and really build up the the reputation of the race and, and really give it, you know, put it on the national stage if these guys are going to be, you know, traveling all over the world chasing, you know, UTMB stones or whatever it is. I wanna I wanna jump on one thing you said because I think it's where our community could actually be most impactful. It doesn't we're looking right now at a at a black and white scenario. You're either with Ironman, UTMB, or you're not. Right. That's not our culture, though. Right. Right. That that's so so. Yeah. That's why I say you know if if life. I mean, this is when when Lifetime bought Leadville. I said this. You know, fine, great. You know, when North Face was coming in and doing all they were doing with the race in San Francisco and all that. You know, whatever a decade ago. We don't, it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be like the rest of the world stratified. We can actually, we're a small enough community where we care enough about each other. We have a shared passion. Most of all, we have a shared passion. We don't have to be black and white. Look, if you wanna go and chase your UTMB stones and and get the, and, 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 and run Leadville and, and run the race in, Australia and and go to UTMB, you can do that too. And if you want to stay at home and run Bighorn and Western States and whatever, you can do that. I mean, we're all, we're, we're too small to get, to get petty about it. Right. The reason I brought up Candace is not so much because she was a potential player in this whole environment, but because she's a person who believes in the, she was outspoken early in the Ironman thing. And I think she was appropriately so. And and I think that the other guys are going to be like that, like the Bighorn Bears. And I mean, we're going to get a group of the down home, homegrown American mountain hundreds that are just going to go over here and they're going to be like, come run our race and you're going to get what you get. And that's fine. And then you're going to have this group over here. But there's room for all of us. Right. Right. You're, you're still going to have to do a training race somewhere. You're still going to be like, I got a work trip here. Maybe I can do a race there. You know, so. I, I really feel, I don't, I don't know yet if it's good or bad for the sport because I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly still waiting to understand what Catherine said when she said Europeans understand <laughs> ultra running better than Americans do. Like I, 
she hasn't she hasn't responded to my call but uh, <laughs> but you know I, i'm i'm still a little bitter about that because it felt a little bit like she was creating a little us against them right and i and and you know i didn't come into this sport to be us against them and 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 gosh darn it i'm not going to sit here as a as a person who's a voice in the sport and 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 let that happen and i'm certainly not going to be forced to pick a side you know, my, my loyalty is with what is best about long distance trail ultra running. That's my loyalty because it's made me who I am. You know, whether that is attached to Western States, whether that's attached to Vermont, whether that's attached to Patagonia, whether whatever that's attached to doesn't matter as much as that's what has made me who I am and what is like, I think brings a lot of people into the sport. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I a hundred percent agree. I think there's there's plenty of room in the sport, especially as it grows, for you know all different types of events and events that appeal to different runners and different elements and that sort of thing. You know, I think one of the things that Mario raised that I think is is kind of the undercurrent of what a lot of our fears and anxieties are among you know those of us who care about this is, you know, <laughs> is there going to be like. That, that that statement that we all assume that there is going to be room that that all these events can still survive and everything else is that really the case Phil you were a triathlete in a former life and you know what 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 we saw in the world of triathlon as Ironman's influence grew and they started acquiring races and 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 you know expanding their reach is that a lot of smaller races did get squeezed out and I'm not sure. I think that's part of the anxiety that a lot of us carry is, are we going to see that sort of thing happen again? And and maybe this is maybe this is misplaced anxiety just because of the name Iron Man. And maybe this, you know, if, if they had sold to, I don't know, Benetton or something just to yeah. uh, maybe it would it would not be we, we wouldn't feel that way. But, I mean, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, I was a triathlete in a, in a former life. So, you know, I really enjoy these kind of smaller races where basically you roll up, you put your bike wherever you want, you throw your bag down, you know, you go out and you, you know, you, you go for a swim, you have a bike ride, and then you go for a run. It was very low key, really good fun, nice little community. And then I did two half Ironman races and then I moved into ultra running. So I guess, uh, you know, I have Ironman to thank for pushing me out of Ironman <laughs> into ultra running. So... You know, yeah, I just didn't like them. They were just a whole different vibe, you know, just like this crazy, your bike has to go here, you have to do this. It was just, I know, I just, I did two Ironman races, didn't enjoy the vibe at all. And then, you know, just got more into the running side of things. So, you know, I love the kind of homegrown small races, but there's sort of more corporatized, like, you know, kind of business type races. I just, I just didn't enjoy it. Right. And, and I love the ultra running scene. I think there was something about their approach that made it difficult for a lot of those homegrown races to, to survive or to thrive. I mean, it's very hard to, you know, whether it's a branding issue or a licensing issue or whatever it is, it's, it's hard for, a, if you were going to start a half Ironman distance, a 70.3 triathlon, it's, it's hard to gain a toehold without being able to label it as a half Ironman. And they're very, from what I understand, aggressive about enforcing those sorts of trademarks or copyrights or whatever they are well um, i think you're i think you're about to find out cause your letterbox is going to be full of letters from their lawyers within a week from <laughs> i'm allowed to say the, the word, the word Iron Man, I, I, can, I can say it right <laughs> i i don't know allegedly <laughs> uh yeah i'm not sure but uh i think you know like andy was saying there's still a lot of unanswered questions i'm a little confused myself we'll see how it goes 
but yeah, I mean, some people like it, some won't, you know. Um, and I think, you know, we're kind of together as a, as a sport. We look after each other and, you know, things will stay that way, I hope. So, yeah, you know, one thing Debo said to me just to put a bow on this is, you know, and, and he's even as a as a, you know, pretty uh, optimistic observer of this, I think a, a, certainly a supporter of what's happening. You know, he said, you know, it's, it is up to us to, to maintain what we love about the sport and to, you know, call out when we see things that we don't agree with. Um, and, mm. and, you know, I, th- I think, I think I- I'm cautiously optimistic that there's going to be plenty of room in the sport for the different races and the different types of experiences that people want to have. But, you know, we, we just, we do need to be vigilant, those of us who have concerns about any problems that we see and, and speaking up, you know, with the voice that we have. I mean, it's still a sport that responds to its athletes. It's still a sport that, you know, has a, a large social media presence and we can make our voices known if, if we... You know, if we do see, you know, practices and, and things that we don't like and we can still, you know, make a difference that way. So, you know, it, in, in a way, it's, it is up to us and, and I think we can move forward from there. Yeah, I'm just a little concerned that if Iron Man are going to come after me when I make some World Series ultra running trading cards. So, you know, you go to an event and you get a trading card, you get like a Jim Wormsley, you get a, you know, like Dylan Bowman card. And they all have a different value. Well, when, know, we do, when we do our uh, our ultra-running swimsuit calendar, we, we got to be careful about, you know, trademark <laughs> infringement with the swimsuit calendar and stuff, right? <laughs> when we put you in a Speedo, I mean, we just got to make sure the branding is all lined up. If you put me in a Speedo in, on any calendar, <laughs> you're going to have much more to deal with than, tra- than, than copyright infringement. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be nice. <laughs> Let's let's talk That's about. A good point to move on, right? <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, Throw me in there in a speedo, and we, we we swiftly move on to another conversation. Love it. <laughs> it's like, how can we get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> get me out of this hole, Adrian. This is a, this is a very professional transition. We're going to talk about <laughs> Andy, your favorite and my favorite race in the world, the Western States 100, which is fast approaching on the calendar. I actually, I've only been to states. Uh, three times now, but my first two experiences at States were two of your most uh, important, I think, from, from an outside observer's perspective, days at States. I was there in 2005, was my first experience at Western States, when you were second to Scott Jurek in his final, oh, nice. seventh and final victory. Uh, I, I definitely remember seeing you at at Michigan Bluff. I was doing medical care at Michigan Bluff and again at the finish line, and you had, you were uh absolutely the coolest customer out there uh i think when you came through michigan bluff i'm going to say you were probably in about fourth at that point if i remember correctly and you look like i can't remember there was a year there was a european who was in second who had been leading for most of most of the early half and i don't remember his name and um vincent delabar that's exactly right it was vincent delabar you're right and he was out hard, and Scott caught him. We we were waiting for him, and and Scott actually came through uh, first at Michigan Bluff, and and was just all manic energy and screaming, and 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 then Vincent came through and basically looked like death warmed over. And you came through about ten minutes later and looked like you were out for a Sunday stroll. Like it looked like the easiest that you were smiling, you were calm. Uh, I think you were wearing a Vask Ultra Running Team. Uh, cut off T-shirt. I if I remember correctly, for a minute. no, no, <laughs> no, it, no. But it was it was perfect. It was like a it was a vast. I, I think it was a cotton T-shirt with the sleeves cut off. It looked like the it was you know perfect 
you know, dirtbag roots ultra running. And, and you finished that race. I mean, Scott collapsed at the finish line and needed IV fluids. And you came across the line, again, looking like it was the easiest thing in the world. And then I was there in 2014 for your 10th finish as well. I was, uh, pacing, really? yep, I was pacing Glenn Redpath that day. So, uh, yeah, I feel very connected to you at Western States. That's so cool. Well, I, I, I actually, I, I thought Scott should have been penalized 30 minutes for getting that uh, IV and I, I should have been given at, the, at the finish. <laughs> I thought he should. I, I, I'm just kidding. Well, that's a, the, the other. The other guy was Jorge Pacheco. That's right. Was third, right? So, so the funny a team, story. A teammate of yours, I think, right? Yes. So when I when I caught up to Vincent Delabar, he was walking. So the elevator shaft is this huge downhill right before Cal Two, mm-hmm. and Vincent Delabar was walking downhill backwards down that <laughs> when I passed him, and that was when I got in the third place. And then when I got all the way down to the river and the sandy bottom, I was going along, and I and there's this picnic table off to the right, and Jorge was laying down in the picnic table. And so I was like, Jorge, how you doing? He's like, ah, keep going, AJ. And I kept going. And I turned back to my pacer. I was like, I think I'm in second place now. Like I kind of did my fingers and, <laughs> and I was still feeling good. And and then, of course, I got to the river and the guy was the clipboard guy was like, well, Scott just left here 24 minutes ago. You better move your ass. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was it was a, it was the best day of running I've had in my life, no doubt. Yeah, it was awesome to watch uh, on on all account. That was that was really my introduction to ultra running, and it was it was so great to see you guys um, just lay it out there like that. It was fantastic. Let's talk about Western States twenty twenty one. That's the year, right? Twenty twenty one. Yep, which is shaping up to be one of the most competitive hundred mile trail races maybe ever. Uh, you know, Western States or otherwise. Andy, give us your your thoughts on. The men's and women's field. I'm going to reserve making my official picks until a little bit later in the month. But uh, what are your thoughts looking at the the talent that's lined up here? Well, first of all, I think the the most exciting thing about it is that the race is is very likely at this point to happen. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, we're we're uh, we're recording this on Monday of the week leading into Memorial Day weekend. It looks like they're going to run the Memorial Day training camps. I'm volunteering at the race and I've gotten my instructions for volunteering. So touchdown for that. They're going to have the race. Uh, I I mean, I'm not the, I I think that in and of itself is a great thing. Um, I know the people, I know a lot of the people who are part of that race and that's been their most important priority. They could care less who wins at this point. Um, You know, they've got some challenges with the course no one ran the course last year there's been a lot of trail work that needs to be done there's a there's still a lot of work to be done in the infrastructure of the race you know the last time the race was canceled was 2008 and everyone including myself came to the starting line in 2009 with two years worth of pent-up energy (laughs) i think this year they're going to do the same thing times two because of COVID. Right. Um, And so, so, you know, I I think the front of the men's pack is going to be not, it's not going to be surprising, you know, to see Jim and and Jared out there and and to see how the race unfolds. I, I think that there's, there's some interesting storylines because not, not a lot of people have raced a lot. Uh, Not a lot of people have, um, have done, you know, have put it on the mat 
as 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 they probably should. I'm I was I got so excited in 2019. If you guys remember this, when uh, Claire and and Brittany were just going at it, mm -hmm. you know, it was this really interesting. It could go down as like in 20 years from now, it could historically go down as as like the Jim King, Jim Howard version in the female race. Mm -hmm. You know, Courtney ran her heart out, obviously couldn't couldn't get it done after the river and going up. And and so when when I sort of got that buzz and I started driving around and, and I went to, um, you know, Highway 49 crossing and up to the. Um, whatever they call that new aid station and then down to the uh no hands bridge and and they were racing you know claire and Brittany were racing like it was a 10k track race yeah and bottles flying and and and, and i mean i would like i'd like to see that happen again um but even if it doesn't happen again i i think what 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 the 2019 race said about women's ultra running at western states is like this is legitimate. I mean, I mean, the women's champions, you know, Magda, Steph, Casey, you know, they're, it's a who's who of the last decade of ultra running and they're all still running, you mm -hmm. know, their life has happened. Stuff has happened, you know, even Cat Bradley coming out of nowhere with one lottery ticket, you know? So I think that it's, it's so much fun to just be in the environment again, to be in the arena again that um, my Western States preview essentially is the race is going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be, a, it's, it's really going to be the first big race. I think, I mean, I know races have happened, and, but this is going to be the first big race that the eyes of the world are on and, and they're going to pull it off. Great. And it's going to just be so, so much fun <laughs> to see it happen. And, and in fact, just finishing it's going to be a, a a victory for a lot of these people who you know all of them who waited all this time to get in then they had to wait another year now they're still wondering if covid's going to make them wait another year i don't think it is and now they're going to get it done yeah. so man i can't wait to get out there you mentioned yeah, you I mentioned mean, that um you know not a lot of people are going to will have had a, a big effort necessarily leading into it, or at least a, a race type effort where you're really going to lay it on the line when you were, you know, at your best and preparing for Western States every year. Is that something that was important? Did you feel in your prep over the, the couple of months beforehand to really have a oh, big yeah. race effort for me? And, and I know a lot when we, I had my routine, right. I would do way too cool. I would do American river. I would do me walk. You know, I was one of those guys who had to race into shape mm -hmm especially because I had kind of chilled out from like uh, August to December and there haven't really, I mean, there've been some of those AR was pulled off and uh, you know, there've been canyons. canyons happened. Sure. So, I mean, there have been some of those, but I, I think it's, it's been a little, you know, people have had to kind of figure it out. So um, it's, a, you get a little different feeling when it put, when you put a bib on, especially if you're putting a Western States bib on. Yeah. Yeah. You've been around the race for a very long time. What does the character of the race feel like to you as opposed to 20 years ago? I mean, I, I guess, you know, obviously it's been a couple of years since we've been there. But, you know, how, how much has the race changed? What kind of what kind of changes have you seen over the last well, 20, 30 I mean, years? I think what, what's most important is what hasn't changed. Yeah, that's what, kind of what I was getting at, actually. Yeah, the the, the course is a, it, it, it's kind of like Fenway Park or or Augusta National. Right. It's a it's a place where you can 
you can you can be a certain kind of runner and you you could maybe not run i was one of these guys you could not necessarily be that great of a runner on any other course but if you're if you're like the horses for courses thing if you're if you're a horse for western states you can do well now if you can run downhill if you can handle medium altitude if you don't get bothered by being with a bunch of crowds if you know like oh this is a dirt road section i can make some time you know, this is a this is where the shade is. This is when the hot part of the day comes. So I, I need to soak myself. This is a creek I can soak myself in for a couple of minutes and I'm not going to lose time. Like there's all these little intricacies of the Western States course hasn't changed at all. Not at all. And, and it won't ever. Um, the other thing that won't change is the value the, the race places on taking care of the runners. Mm -hmm. Right. 1400 volunteers for 369 runners right i mean that's that's three and a half volunteers per runner yeah that's, pre that's pretty huge you know that you know, craig likes to say no runner fills their own bottle right you walk in when you walk in the last chance aid station you surrender yourself to them you take <laughs> your pack off you give them your stuff they shove you full of food this is an aid station with no crew and stuff that hasn't changed at all the stuff that has changed of course like thousands more people show up for it. Mm -hmm. Traffic is insane. Parking is a problem. Uh, you know, the, the, the neighborhoods that you have to go through to get to like all the behind the scenes stuff that it's, it's a nightmare for the race organization. I'll give you an example. I'm one of the, one of my first volunteer assignment this year, I did it in 2019 too, is to do parking at Duncan Canyon. Now, oh, now one one would think, well, what what the heck? What's parking at Duncan Canyon? Well, Duncan Canyon. I've, I've parked aid, at Duncan Canyon. <laughs> right, it's, a, it's an aid station at mile 23.8. It's on a it's on a dirt road. It's just one way out and back. There could be fires. There there's three other you know, and there's there's like regular people out there on their ATVs and doing whatever. Like like one little screw up at Duncan Canyon with parking the road gets blocked or a fire vehicle can't get by or the forest sh service shows up at the wrong time could affect the permits of the race. Right. Like those are the kinds of things that have changed. You know, 20 years ago, <clears throat> there were probably 30 cars parked at Duncan Canyon. Right. <laughs> you know, now there's 350. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I can't, I really can't wait for it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be at Leadville for the, the training weekend that weekend. So I'm, I'm actually going to be my, my ability to follow along is going to be a little bit impaired while I'm, I'm coaching there, but um, I, I can't wait to get back to the, to the town and, and, you know, plug into to Wi-Fi and really dig in. Cause it's going to be amazing. All right. You guys want to do 20 questions? Let's do it. Let's do some 20 questions. AJW. I know you're excited. I know you're, I know you're a little frightened. But that's okay. We're we're here to. This is a safe space for you. We're gonna do twenty rapid fire questions. Some some, well, let's be honest. They're they're all pretty stupid. But let's uh, let's introduce a new generation of ultra running fans to Andy Jones Wilkins. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right, Phil, take us away. All righty. Um, I'm gonna go straight in there. What what is your worst DNF or epic race failure? Well, I'm, I, I haven't DNF'd. Ah, yeah, okay. we got to get rid of this question. There's too many people that have never DNF'd. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you have an epic race failure? Something didn't quite go as well as as planned and and turned into a, a bit of a nightmare? Yes, Hard Rock uh, 2016. I got to uh, Cunningham, uh, probably must have been about four in the afternoon, took a three-hour nap, and it took me six hours to traverse the nine miles from Cunningham to the finish. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That sounds painful. Yeah. That sounds, yeah, that's... That that must have been some work. That that was the that was the uh, slowest split of the entire field. Oh, congratulations! By three hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you do it, you do it right. I like yeah. that. <laughs> no one's going to break that record in time. Soon. All all the wheels <laughs> fell off. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, what's your go-to aid station food? Uh, pierogies. <laughs> You guys had pierogies? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, I love them. Yeah, I'm a good Polish boy. Yeah. And avocados sliced thinly on salt and vinegar Pringles. Oh, wow. That's an interesting one. It's got very specific tastes. Yeah. And uh, chicken broth, double strength, with coconut water. Oh, now you're talking Phil's language. Coconut water? Love it. Yeah, no, but, it's, but it's you make the chicken broth with the coconut water. That sounds sounds kind of like it has a, a sort of a Thai food kind of twist yep. to it. But I, I I like the sound of it. It sounds very good. Very good. It sounds like part of your uh, your crew. You always bring a chef along. Yeah, Shelly, my <laughs> wife Shelly calls it her witch's brew. Oh right, <laughs> nice. Sounds good. All right, who is your all time favorite runner? Tommy Nielsen. Tommy Nielsen. Who's Tommy Nielsen? Tommy Nielsen is a runner. He's probably about 64 years old now. He uh, is my mentor in the sport. He's from San Diego. He's got a couple second place finishes at Western States, uh, one of which is closer to Scott Jurek than mine. <laughs> and uh, and he's just one of those guys that, uh, you know, if, if I could pick one guy to go for a run with, that would be him. That, nice. that answers my next question. If you could run with anyone living or dead, who would it be? There you go. Well, I guess maybe not. Oh, I, I, I don't think I would. Ne- if I could pick a person running uh, living or dead that I could run with, it wouldn't be Tommy. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> go ahead. Right. Who would it be? Oh, George Sheehan. George Sheehan. That's a good answer. That's very good. Tommy Nielsen. I got to go back and do some research there because that, now that's a, hole in my, that's a hole in my knowledge. All right. Very good. Phil, go ahead. All right. Um, who would play you in a movie based on your life? Um, my entire life. However you want. Uh, I think I. I think I would probably go with. I'd go with Tom Cruise. Perfect. All right. <laughs> okay. He runs in Good. every. He runs in every movie he makes too. So he's got that down. Yeah. I'll go he with. Him. There you go. I'll go with an easy one. I think we already know the answer. We've talked about it a lot, but what's your favorite race? Western States 100. Yeah. Ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, I'll go with another easy one. Speedwork or Hills? Hills. Yeah, all right. that's right. It's all right, hard, hardest question we have. What's your favorite beer? Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Oh, a classic. Just a, I'm just an old school guy. Love it. Love it. Uh, what is the funniest thing that you've ever seen at an ultra? 
So I was running in the high country with Kevin Sawchuk, who also is a 10-time silver buckler Mm -hmm. at uh, Western States. And he went off to the side of the trail when we were running together and relieved himself, but not number one or number two. I didn't didn't know there was another number. (laughs) Oh, wait, no. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, and then he caught up to me later, and he told me, yep, I always do that by that tree. Right. Okay. Now I have to put an explicit warning on this podcast. (laughs) Okay, I think we move on. (laughs) It's a true story. Yeah, I mean... It was a a very different time then. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. What? I'm I'm sure the tree. I mean, I'm I'm sure the tree is twice as big. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, I think I actually know the answer to this one. But what's the worst injury you've ever had? I've had two hip replacement surgeries. Yes, I thought so. But I'm still running. Um, if you could compete in any non-running event at the Olympics, what would it be? They don't do the hot dog eating contest in the Olympics, do they? <laughs> they do not, no. But they'll probably add it at some point if Coca-Cola ponies up the money. Yeah, so I would I would go with the skeleton. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that's good. Nice. Have you ever done that? No. Oh, of course not. Good. Good. No, but you put your face like four inches away from <laughs> exactly, <my> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to try that once? <laughs> that was a bit of fun. Uh, what's the toughest race you've ever run? Hard Rock in yeah. 2016. Yeah. What's the best book that you've ever read? Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Excellent. Do you cross train? Trick question, isn't it? Pretty much. So there are these hip exercises I'm supposed to do, and I do them every time I get injured. (laughs) So that would be, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right, go ahead, Phil. Do you play any musical instrument? And if not, what instrument do you wish you could play? No, I, I play the trombone. All right. Do you still play regularly? Uh, no. But you still could play if I had you play, if I wanted you to play. I mean, I I could, I could play. When the Saints go marching. I could probably, yeah, I I could play that stuff. Okay. Awesome. What motivates you when things start to suck? The fact that going is better than not going. Hmm. Nice. If you had to race dressed in a costume, what would it be? Probably a kilt. And uh, like a Scottish, the whole Scottish get up because I'm, I come from that, you know, pedigree. Excellent. And obviously there'd be nothing under the kilt, so it would help cool the nether regions. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd have lots of lube and all, but. Yeah. Lube's allowed, obviously. Right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> good. What's your typical weekly mileage? And as a side question, what was it when you were like at your peak? So right now I'm running between 50 and 60 miles a week. Wow, that's still a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm an everyday runner. Um, I think at my peak, I was 90 to 110. I've always been a high mileage guy. Nice. 
a, a, a doubles guy. I would, you know, when I was when I was doing top tens at Western States, I would probably do uh, twelve runs a week between uh, March and race day. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot. That's a lot of running. Yeah. Yeah. What is your go-to karaoke song? Born to Run. Great choice. Last question, AJW. What changes do you see in ultramarathon over the next five to ten years? Well, I, I, I think oh, maybe a little bit longer answer. Coming out of COVID, I think there's going to be a little, a, a lot of desire for the small boutique, uh, community-oriented runs, and then uh, a little boom in the sport around the competitive people. And I just hope that there's something in the middle. Mm hope that there's something for people who are like regionally fast runners or you know they may not be able to travel because of their jobs or their families or whatever i hope there's something that like i was lucky enough to live in the bay area in the early 2000s and learn about western states and and be fast enough to be able to go and do that but i don't think you can do that anymore so i i hope that whoever is that like sort of fast guy, but not the super fast guy or gal can still find that way to have success in the sport that is meaningful and purposeful and makes them feel like they want to keep doing it rather than just bail and do something else. Because the, the, the people, what I've found is the people who come to ultra running are really really good people they believe in the values that we care about they believe in community they believe in being together they believe that what brings us together is better than what divides us and that's why they show up for these that's why they end up quitting ironmans like (laughs) phil did that's why they end up bailing bailing on the road races and coming over to the trails because you don't have to be a slave to your watch like that's why they are here and so they've self-selected to be here and i hope that we can keep them here for longer than just a couple of years so they can check off their bucket list and then go on. Yeah. I think just to bring it back to what we were, what we were talking about at the beginning, I think, I mean, one thing that we can, you know, look towards as a positive of, you know, the expansion of the sport and, and, you know, maybe more corporate involvement is, yeah, hopefully it does, you know, for, for, there's going to be downsides, there's going to be positives. and, And hopefully one of the positives is it brings more people in, and just shows them what a great sport it is and, and allows more people to, you know, establish the kind of lifelong relationship with the sport that, that you've been able to enjoy. So, well, know. and, and I, and, and I hope that corporate, the corporate involvement, like the people listen, the corporate people listen to guys like you, right? Like, I hope that you, they you don't want listen. anyone to listen to guys like me. No, because you get it. You're like a new person to the sport but you understand where we've come from. Like you, you, you sat through Western States in 2005. Yeah. And then you were there again in 2014. So you're not just this guy who got off the turnip truck. Right. (laughs) And I think that, and I, and you have a voice, you have a platform right now. So I think that, that the more that people such as you can, can make that voice heard in the right places and in the right way, not like being a bully, like I could easily, I'm AJ, I could easily be a bully and write all sorts of vitriolic stuff on I Run Far, but I'm not going to do that, obviously, you know, because that's not what the community is and that's not what people expect of me. 
right? N none of us are going to get anywhere by being bullies. But I think that, you know, and, and you mentioned Debo and Mario the other day. They did an outstanding job of, like, walking the line, mm -hmm. right? But they're doing it, like, that's the line they're walking right now. Mm -hmm. And we need to continue to walk that line. And if, and if we can get more people walking that line, then we're going to be better for it. Well said. That's what I meant. Yep. So I do think, Jay, people are going to listen to you. <laughs> Uh, and you too, maybe, Bill. maybe Phil. <laughs> I think more. I think more me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, he's he's a little strange. <laughs> uh, Andy, this was so great. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on the show and and lend us your your years of wisdom and knowledge and expertise. This was a really fun and informative pod, and and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. And uh, I will see you. We'll we'll see you when Phil gets into Western States next year, and I come out to crew, and we'll see him there. We'll see you there. I I, I guarantee you I'll be there. Come find me in the uh, Duncan Canyon parking lot. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this really fantastic episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time in the Pain Cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the last guy in the wonderment. Ride the bus, feel upset